Hello and welcome to Weird Things and Wine, the show where we sip wine and talk about all things weird. My name is Tash. And my name is Mia. And today we will be talking about the mysterious death of Natalie Wood. Shall we jump right into it? Let's do it! Okay! (laughs) Cheers! Natalie Wood was a Hollywood starlet at the peak of her career when her life was cut short. A lifelong phobia of water seemed almost premonition-like as she succumbed to the treacherous waves of the ocean. In the decades following, many still speculate that this was not a coincidence. Was it her jealous lover, a man envious of her success? Or maybe an argument that ended in tragedy? Or is it simply an accident that her biggest fear ended up being her demise? Let's talk about it. Okay, also, I think that we need a disclaimer in this episode. Okay, let's disclaimer. (laughs) Here's our disclaimer. We mean no uh, disrespect to anyone directly or indirectly related to anyone that we mention here in this podcast today, nor are we trying to suggest that any of the things that we mention here are facts. We are simply talking about information that we found on the internet and expressing our opinions. Yes, please don't sue us. Thank you for that wonderful disclaimer, Mia. I was actually really not ready for that, even though I knew we needed to have one. So when I started talking, I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) What is our disclaimer? (laughs) You did great. Thank you. (laughs) One other thing I wanted to mention is that um, for obvious reasons, there will be no trivia questions in this recording. (laughs) It felt a little bit inappropriate. So... (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, yeah. We'll bring it back, though. It'll It'll be back. It will, for sure, on an episode that doesn't talk about tragedy or death. Yes. Okay, let's start... (laughs) So let's get into a bit of the background on who Natalie Wood was. So Natalie Wood was born Natalia Nikolaevna Zakarenko on July 20th, 1938. Well done on pronouncing, by the way. Pronouncing? Pronouncing? Pronunciation. (laughs) I don't know if I said that right. I'm sorry if I didn't. Again, we don't mean any disrespect. I'm just trying my best. (laughs) So her parents were Maria and Nikolai. They were Russian immigrants who moved to San Francisco, California. I believe that she also had an older sister named Olga, but I really couldn't find much information about her. There's a little bit on her younger sister, Lena, but not so much about her older sister. I might be misremembering this, but I heard somewhere that um, Maria tried, first of all, to get Olga into stardom after a fortune teller told Maria that one of her children would be a star. She then put Olga into acting school and all this stuff, which then just sort of transferred onto Natalie when she was born and everyone was like, oh, she's so beautiful. Right, yeah. And then eventually Lena got the same treatment. When Natalie started getting into acting, her name was eventually changed to Natalie Wood by her management team to make her more appealing to American audiences. And her family followed, they took on the last name Wood and changed their first names as well. Like, for reference... Lana was born Svetlana, then they changed her name to just Lana. So because Maria always wanted to be famous herself when she was growing up, she kind of pushed that onto her children. She was almost like a stage mom. In today's terms. I have some information about Maria. Information, okay. (laughs) Just to um, help you get a bit of understanding about who she was, Lana, I believe, claims that her mother, Maria, was a pathological liar. <laughs> Ooh, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Maria was so dead set on having Natalie become a famous actress 
that she went to pretty great lengths. She, like, moved the entire family to give Natalie more of a leg up in the competition. So, and she decided that Natalie should become an actress at just age four. She was in a (laughs) 15-second scene in the movie Happy Land. She also had to cry in this scene, apparently. There's a story that to encourage Natalie to cry on set during a scene, Maria took a butterfly, a live butterfly, and kind of... De-winged it. Yes. She de-winged it in front of Natalie to make her cry. Which obviously worked. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it got her the part. Don't think it's worth scarring your child over. Not the best parenting trick. Yeah. Not the best. (laughs) Don't take notes, everyone. Please don't. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So that kind of gives you an idea of who Natalie was raised by. I also heard that her father was an alcoholic. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Allegedly. At age eight, Natalie co-starred on Miracle on 34th Street, and then when she was 10, she met Robert Wagner, who was an actor, and he was 18 at the time. Natalie was instantly starstruck when she saw him. This was the first time they met. We'll go on to talk about him more later, (laughs) but she was completely smitten with him from first sight. Again, she was 10, he was 18. I don't think he probably looked twice at her, I hope. So, someone said that he smiled at her in the hallway and at that moment she was like oh my gosh i think it might have been her sister lana that said that she had always sort of compared people to him since she met him that day right she didn't really meet him i don't think it was just a passing yeah i think it was just passing and um apparently she even said one day i'm gonna marry him there's a big statement spoiler alert it happened (laughs) twice (laughs) Okay, so throughout her childhood, she ended up appearing in around 20 films. Which is a lot as a child. It's a lot. And since so much of her childhood was spent on a set, she was required to spend three hours a day on schooling, and apparently she was known for her good grades and intelligence. This is sort of an alleged piece of information, but it has been suggested that Maria did put forth some efforts to try and convince the directors that she, in fact, did not need to do her three hours of schooling a day. I heard that, too. I have to say something. Okay. Maria was very ambitious for her daughter and kind of living vicariously through her daughter, it seems like. Um, there are reports of Natalie being abused by men in Hollywood and Maria encouraging this abuse to further Natalie's career. Yeah, well, you know what? This also sort of all started when, in an effort to get her, allegedly, into that very first movie, she, on a number of occasions, she encouraged Natalie to go and talk to the director on her own and even sit on the director's lap at the age of four. (laughs) Stephanie Harlow also has a great series on this that she has a lot of information on but in her series i think she mentions that natalie in an interview said that it was at that age she realized sort of what hollywood was like and how to what you would need to do to further yourself in that situation right which is not okay not okay basically many people say that um maria kind of taught natalie to to keep quiet and keep secrets to in order to protect other people which means that we don't know a lot of the situations that Natalie ended up being forced into throughout her career, but we we do know, like many child stars, that she had some pretty unfortunate incidents that happened. Mm. I don't know if we need to get into it, because 
I don't know, it's personal and it's really dark. This kind of, for me, reminds me of, like, Britney Spears because Natalie Wood was really young at this time. She would have been between the ages of, like, 16 and 18, maybe even 15 and 18. Oh, yeah. Or even 14 and 18. Like, she was so young. She was a child. She was an actual... She wasn't even a teenager yet when all these things were happening and she sort of, like... I'm thinking of Britney with Justin Timberlake. (laughs) Where, like, no one was there to protect her from that world or help her navigate that. They were just like, okay, shh, you're in Hollywood, okay? You've made it here. Just, like, stay. That's it. Yeah. That's all you have to do is just stay and shush. Don't rock the boat. Which is unfortunate because it means so much of Natalie Wood's life is unknown because she kept these secrets because that's what she was taught to do. It sucks. (laughs) That's also kind of, like, the time, too. Like, people didn't talk, really. Nowadays, we kind of know that kids in Hollywood need to be protected more than anyone else in Mm. Hollywood. And I don't think back then that wasn't really a thing. They were vulnerable and easy to manipulate, so that's what the powers in charge did to them. Hollywood just sucks for children in general. (laughs) And I I don't understand why anybody would encourage their child to become an actress and not, not even look out for her. Like, she didn't know... Her father and her mother didn't look out for her, and that's just heartbreaking. It kind of sounds like her father just checked out a little bit yeah he was like okay hun this is your whole thing you just go on and run with it i'll be back here smiling okay thanks yeah and it bears mentioning that natalie became like the breadwinner for her family when she was a child she was like 12 and she was the one making all the money which is a ridiculous amount of pressure to put on a child and she didn't get to choose the roles that she took until she was an adult she just pretty much basically got thrown into these situations with no one to prepare her or help her. There is one point that I would like to mention, which is she, at one point in her life, which was actually in 1966, so she would have been 28, she won the quote-unquote worst actress of last year, this year, and next award, which is a really gross award to have. That's so rude. I hope they don't give that out anymore. She went on this talk show with Dick Cavett, and um, on this show, she mentioned that she wasn't like most kids in that she didn't feel pressured to do these roles. She felt like she really wanted to do these things, and um, then she also grew up really quickly because she wasn't around other kids, and also that she felt that she was able to keep some form of normalcy because she still continued to go to school in between her filmings and whatnot. Right. I didn't realize that she had said all of these things and I was kind of taken aback. I didn't know that. All of Natalie Wood's life was controlled by her mother, it seems like, or attempted to be controlled by her mother. Like, she was almost indoctrinated into this cult of Hollywood as a child, and then they just built her entire life around that. She didn't get a chance to be an actual person. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a child too, right? Like, when you're still developing, you can take on someone else's belief. Like, if they force it on you enough, you can start believing that this is what you want, when yeah. it really isn't. Given, at this time, she was 28, so she wouldn't still be a child going, no, I want this. That's true. But she's also still probably protecting the people that raised her. 
Okay, and it's funny because in all of my searches for Natalie Wood, I only found this when I searched up Robert Wagner, which was weird. That is weird. Do you, like, Google his name and then that clip shows up? Yeah, so I I YouTube looked up his name because I was like, I wonder what sort of things Robert Wagner got into. And yeah, this Natalie Wood video popped up, given I didn't search through all of the pages of Natalie Wood. But, you know, you look at the first, like, page and some, this one wasn't there. She has a really interesting voice. I kind of really like the old Hollywood sound where it's like almost British, but oh, not. Yeah. yeah. And she has that voice. Okay. Like the Audrey Hepburn like accent. It's just so nice. So shortly after Natalie graduated from high school in 1956, she started dating Robert. And then they were married in December of 1957. For reference, she was 18 at the time, and he was 26. Does anyone else get, like, Princess Diana remembrance from this? You're right. It's weird. It is weird. But they do. They do have a lot in common. I heard reports that they initially got set up as sort of a publicity stunt, and even though he was famous, he was never quite on the level that Natalie was, so she definitely helped boost his career a little bit. I heard that at the time, the idea for that was mutually beneficial because she sort of had this reputation of dating a lot, which some people that were a little more conservative didn't agree with. So showing this united front with this established man who was not doing the things that she had been reportedly beforehand was beneficial on her part because it changed the public's perspective on of her, her wild side. And like you said, for him, beneficial for him because she was a little more popular than he was. Yeah. Just a little. And it bears mentioning that even if he was a dating a lot and being a little quote-unquote wild, he would not have been demonized for it the way that Natalie would have been, just because misogyny. I don't know, though. It's existed always. Yes. And yes, it still it exists. Especially so. in the 50s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so... As a teenager, Natalie was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Rebel Without a Cause. In the late 50s, her career kind of took a downward turn as she grew out of the roles that she excelled in as a teen. She wanted to take on more adult roles and less of just, like, the girlfriend type that she kind of took on as as a teen. And it's kind of worth mentioning that that sort of aura kind of followed her in the beginning parts of her career because when she turned into a teen as well the same thing happened she wanted to take on more adult roles as in adult as in like young adult as in a teenager Mm -hmm. but her mother still well someone on her team still had her dress in pretty sundresses and pigtails and still made her look like she was younger than she actually was so This is just the same idea, just a little bit older. You know, the whole perspective of her was, well, she's this young kid. Yeah, the transitions were kind of scary for the team, I think, because you never quite know where the career is going to go after the roles kind of change. And because she was, like, the sole breadwinner for her family at that point, it was a little precarious of a situation. That's fair. When she was cast in Splendor in the Grass, the world was introduced to a more mature and confident Natalie, capable of taking on more complex roles. This film got her nominated for an Academy Award, a Golden Globe Award, and a BAFTA Award for the Best Actress in Leading Role. Which is like, wow. Uh Uh-huh. That's a lot. So this, followed by her role in West Side Story, kind of caused her career to take off again. 
she still, at this point, really didn't have anyone advising her. So, for West Side Story, for payment, they asked her if she wanted to take a cut up front or a percentage of the earnings. She chose a cut up front, which was financially the wrong decision because this movie made a lot of money and she would have been like rich rich right had she chosen to take a percentage of the earnings oh that's so disappointing yeah so in april 1962 natalie and robert got divorced they had only been married for what three years no five years yeah sorry math it's hard (laughs) sometimes i don't think that i've heard why they got a divorce I have um, some reports that we will get into of why they could have maybe Ooh. gotten divorced. So it's allegedly? Allegedly. Okay. But we'll get into that later, in theories. <laughs> so in 1964, she received another nomination for an Academy Award, making her the youngest person at the time to do so. She was 25. Which, good job, Natalie. Great job. Like, dang. That's awesome. And then, I think that record was broken by Jennifer Lawrence recently oh. and then most recently by Sersha Roman. I don't know if that's how I say her name and I'm really sorry if it's not. In 1965 and 1966, she received two more Golden Globe nominations. Shortly after this, she took a three-year break from acting. During this time, she in May 1969, she married Richard Gregson, who was a British producer at the time. And then in 1970, she had her first child, Natasha, with him, Natasha Gregson, and she decided to focus on being a mother, and she ended up acting in only four more films during her career. It's worth noting, too, that during this time, it was said that she had really gotten into the role of being, like, a mother and not having to work for the first time in her life to be the breadwinner. So he is a producer, um, and this also kind of meant that he was flying around all over the place, you know, doing all these things, meeting all these people, and she was just so happy, reportedly, to just be tagging along and enjoying being a mother, enjoying just living her life, and not feeling like she had to wake up and work to live. Unfortunately, this marriage also ended in divorce in 1972. Yeah, I heard that he... Cheated. Yeah. Jerk. Jerk. There are kind of reports that Natalie and Robert Wagner kind of met up again and then subsequently divorced both of their um, Mm. significant others. The rumor kind of goes that they ended up going to this producer's party and they were seated next to each other. Mm. And no one apparently knew this at the time, that Robert Wagner and his then wife were going to be divorcing or were in the process, I think, of getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. And Natalie was really on the rocks with her partner as well. Because he was cheating on her. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) Apparently, because she was pregnant at this time, Robert was so concerned with her getting home safely. Because she was, I want to say, like, four months pregnant at this time? Maybe I'm lying. At the time of this specific party. Okay. Because they hadn't officially gotten divorced yet. She was pregnant with her child, and on her way home, she was driving alone, and he wanted to make sure that she got home safely, so he followed her, and he walked her to the door, and then the next day, he sent her, like, flowers or a box of chocolates and, like, a note, like, a sweet note, which is what he did when they were first dating as well, and then I guess things just took off from there, and we're gonna talk more about that later. (laughs) Okay. So then, in July 1972, Natalie remarried Robert Wagner, who also had a child from a previous marriage. Her name was Katie. 
I think that his previous marriage was also to a British person, which is interesting. Ooh, dynamic. Okay. Yeah. So, Natalie's sister, Lena, she was shocked because they were really just, she felt that they were not right for each other. She was like, why are you remarrying him again? Like, this isn't going to work out. It didn't work out last time. And she remembers Natalie telling her that sometimes the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Which hurts to hear. Could you imagine getting married to someone just because they're the lesser of two evils? Mm-hmm. I just had a thought. I kind of thought maybe she was talking, like, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Like, loneliness versus being with somebody who wasn't right. Oh, I... Okay, I would never thought that specific thought. Well, now I'm thinking about it, and it's like, what if she married him again because he offered a bit of protection to her from the other men in Hollywood who would try to take advantage of oh. her? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. It could also be... Which, if that's the thing, like, that really sucks. She shouldn't have to marry someone she doesn't want to marry in order to just not be taken advantage of and manipulated. But I wonder if that's what she meant. I kind of took this to mean, like, face value. Like, okay, yeah, he's not great. But he's a better version of not great than anyone else because I know what to expect from him. It could be that, too. He's, like, familiar, so, like, she already knows about a specific brand of... Shenanigans? Shenanigans. (laughs) Thank you. I've been loving that word recently. Shenanigans? Yeah. I like it. So, in 1974, Natalie and Robert had a daughter named Courtney, and then in 1980, she won a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress, and also in 1980, she starred in The Memory of Eva Riker, the last film that she fully completed. At the end of her life... She was working on a film called Brainstorm, co-starring Christopher Walken, who we'll talk about shortly. Shortly. (laughs) I have some questions for Chris. Um, As do I. (laughs) (laughs) I bears mentioning that they also did finish Brainstorm, the film that she was working on at the time, because she had filmed all the major parts, and then they used her sister, Lana, for some of the smaller parts. So you can go watch that if you want. It's kind of messed up. I haven't watched it specifically because that's kind of scary. That's really sad. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised they released it. They did it, yeah. She had also appeared in 56 different films and TV programs, so she had a pretty prolific career. She was just awesome. And actually, I have seen Robert Wagner in two things. The first one being The Pink Panther, which I adore. All of the Pink Panthers. Okay. Just all of them. I love that. Including the cartoons and the remakes. Originals are better, but, like, remakes are good. And, like, he was cute back in the day. He was, like, charming in a very pretentious kind of way. And I also saw him in Heart to Heart, and I really, really liked Heart to Heart. It's like a detective crime show. Right, that But kind of like Magnum P.I. I think that's the one that kind of made his career. That was, like, the height of his career, I think. I think so, too. Yeah. Then he starred as a henchman. Well, he didn't star as a henchman. He was a henchman in, um, Power. <laughs> Power? What is that? Star Wars? <laughs> star Wars. No! Power. You know, Kate, it's that weird detective dude with Dr. Evil. Oh, you know I know about? what you're talking about. Austin yeah, St- Powers. Austin Powers. I was about to say Steven Powers. <laughs> Austin Powers. Yes, thank you. Oh, he was thank a henchman? You. He was a henchman later on in his career when it was over. He's but, like, cute. No shade. I mean, right? He was, like, kind of cute. I mean, he's cute in the way that, like, every Hollywood actor is cute, right? True. Also, Natalie Wood dated Elvis Presley. 
and I like love Elvis Presley. That's actually iconic. I didn't know that. I also wanted to mention that Natalie was a pretty big advocate for mental health awareness. She apparently even wrote it into her contracts that she mm. had to have a certain amount of time per per week or per day in therapy and working on her mental health, which I, I, I love. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. Setting the standards. She seemed pretty progressive in certain areas like that, which I think is really cool. Very cool. She is an icon and a queen and we love her. Let's talk about her fear of water. This is a really huge. This is a huge factor in this case. Mm -hmm. It's actually insane. So the fear of water is called aquaphobia. And for her entire life, Natalie was terrified of water to the point that she never even learned how to swim. She was especially scared of deeper waters, specifically dark water Mm -hmm. is what comes up, of lakes and oceans. So this may stem from, there's a story that Natalie's mother went to a fortune teller when she was a child. This fortune teller told her that her second daughter would be a great beauty known throughout the world, Um, Mm. and she also told her to beware of dark water. Maria, Natalie's mom, had a fear of dark water, which she kind of passed on to Natalie. Yeah. Just apart from that, there's even more reason throughout her life to be afraid Mm -hmm. of water. Yeah. Specifically, there was a time when she almost drowned on the set of The Green Promise, which is a movie she was in, when a bridge on the water broke, she fell in, and the director kept filming, and they actually used that cut instead of helping her. They just, they thought that her acting was so good because she was actually terrified. And I think that this actually was supposed to sort of happen. Like, the bridge was supposed to break, but the people on set... It was either the director or her mother, reportedly, that kept telling her, no, no, it's not going to do that. It's not going to do that. We're going to bring a stunt double in to do that part of it. You're just going to be doing, you know, the parts before and after. It's also reported that potentially that the bridge sort of broke prematurely. Like she was supposed to get like a couple steps or a step further before it would break, but it unfortunately didn't do that. So she genuinely was struggling for her life. Which is awful and terrifying, and the fact that the director just kept filming instead of helping her. And she's a child! Yeah. Like, she's not an adult. I think it's just another instance of Natalie being taken advantage of by the people in Hollywood and not being taken care of by the people who were supposed to take care of her. Mm -hmm. Apparently this fall even broke her wrist, and apparently it healed wrong because they didn't get her help right away, and she was left with a permanent kind of disfigurement that made her self-conscious. There was actually a couple, a number of other incidents. Um, Another one was when she was filming. She was supposed to go into this lake to film a scene in the water. And they also said that they were going to have a stunt double come in and try and do it. But they wanted to do it with her first. And being the professional that she was, she decided, despite her fear of water, she was going to do it. So she went in and nearly drowned. So then they brought the stunt double in to do the stunt. And the stunt double also almost drowned, even more so than Natalie did, because she ended up getting caught in the long kelp that was growing from the lake bed. Even though both of them had been assured that it was going to be fine, the lake was not that deep. I think they even said that it was deep enough, or excuse me, it was shallow enough that they could touch. That was a lie. For the record, they couldn't touch, and there was kelp or seaweed or something that grabbed and wrapped on their legs. That is so scary. The other event in her life, the bad event with water, was the first time... It was one of... Maybe it wasn't the first time. I want to say it was the time that her and Robert had gone on their honeymoon on their boat. 
if it wasn't the time that they went on their honeymoon, it was another time that they decided to go on a boat trip together. And they ran into a really, really severe storm just out of nowhere. Like it was not predicted. No one saw it coming. It just boom was right there. And like bad things happen. That's scary. Yeah. So it's not only just that she has a fear of water. That stuff just seemed to follow her. Yeah. Throughout her life. Oh, that's scary. (laughs) I don't like that at all. I really relate to Natalie on this because I also have a fear of water. It's not as severe as hers because I will go out on a boat and be okay, but if I'm in the water, I freak out a little bit. So I do understand why it's so scary for her, which is why I think that this whole case is just, like, really sketchy because there's just no way. Because if I was in her shoes, I would not have made the decisions that certain people said that she would have made, which I don't think she did. I'm not making any sense, but I'm really frustrated about it because there's no way she went out on that dinghy. There's no way that she willingly left that boat. There's no way because I wouldn't do it and I'm not nearly as scared of water as she is. Had she been on like maybe a hallucinogenic drug that they would have found traces of, I could potentially understand, though I've never taken hallucinogenic drugs, but given the knowledge that I have now, I could potentially understand her being on a really bad trip and somehow taking out the dinghy. That was not the case. Alcohol has never done that to me. No, never. Like, alcohol doesn't make you, like, completely forget your greatest fear. If anything, it makes you more scared. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to get into the story. Let's get into the night. The night. The night. The night? Okay. So, on November 29th, 1981. This is when it all changes. Okay, so let me actually... Let's set the scene. Let's set the scene. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, Natalie, Robert... Her co-star, Christopher Walken, and their boat captain, who was also a family friend, Dennis Deverne, went aboard their yacht for the weekend, Natalie and Robert's yacht. Which I also think they had just found this yacht. Like, since they got remarried, they had been searching for the perfect yacht. And they finally found it. Right. And they named it The Splendor after one of Natalie's films. Oh, also, I think someone said it was kind of like a joke because the big boat was named the Splendor, but they also named the dinghy after one of Robert's movies that flopped. So the joke was kind of like, ooh, look at my boat named after me because (laughs) I'm a star and look at your dinghy. (laughs) That's actually really funny. It was reported that it was a joke between them. Like it wasn't like a, it was like a, I love you though. That's so cute. Right? That's like one of the only good things I've heard about their relationship. Okay. (laughs) When they had gotten it, they hired Dennis to be the captain. So he was like, he was an employee, but also a family friend. Yeah. So the night before, they apparently had an argument on board the ship. They being Natalie and Robert. It's weird that they were all on board the ship together because Robert did not like Christopher Walken. Partly because he thought that possibly Natalie and Walken were having an affair, because that was, like, the Hollywood rumor at the time. To be clear, I could not find anything that said that Natalie cheated on any of her partners ever, so take that for what you will. Yeah. But he kind of believed this, and apparently their marriage was also going through a bit of a rough patch at the time, so their tensions were high, and I don't really know why Christopher Walken was there if Robert hated him so much. I heard someone suggest that because that was a tension between Natalie and Robert, she wanted to prove to 
her husband, that there was nothing going on and that they had a very, like, friendship relationship. So she naturally thought, come on vacation with us to prove my point. Right. Which is a very natural first thought to have. (laughs) I think also at the time Christopher Walken had a wife who was not on board the ship with them. I don't really know why. So anyways, the night before, apparently there was an argument on board the ship, and we don't really know what that argument was about, but Natalie and Dennis apparently went back to shore because Natalie couldn't control the dinghy herself. And didn't didn't want to. Yeah, didn't want to. So she asked Dennis to take her back to shore. And at the time, the boat was kind of docked offshore, a pretty popular place that had lots of hotels and restaurants and stuff. So they got a hotel room, separate hotel rooms, and stayed the night there. Weren't there claims that they had all gone out to dinner and an argument started on the at the table? I thought the argument happened and then they all went back to the boat to sort of calm down. And then Natalie didn't want to stay. So her and Dennis came back to the shore. Okay. And then the next day they decided to try it again and they just got way too drunk. Right. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You got Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken alone on this giant boat together. What did they talk about? Like, what do you think they were doing? For a whole night. Yeah. By themselves. That's it, though. We're making (laughs) eyes at each other across the table, but... (laughs) I mean, we'll get into what they might have been doing. Possibly. Possibly, but probably not, but also maybe. Who knows? Who knows? They know. They do. They won't tell us, but they do know. They don't have to tell us, but it would be nice to know. I wish that they would tell us because or they don't need to tell me. I don't specifically need to know, but possibly maybe the police should know. <laughs> at us at Weird Things in Wine. <laughs> Hi, Chris. I'd like to hear from you. <laughs> okay, so apparently during this evening that she and Dennis were back on shore, she confided in him that she was not happy with the way that her marriage was going and that she kind of just wanted out. But they tried to book, like, a plane, like, a seaplane, and they couldn't. So they just ended up going back the next morning. So also on that point, too, the hotel staff there said that she booked two rooms. But something odd sort of happened where... I don't exactly remember what happened, but in the end, she ended up only using one of said two rooms. Even though Dennis confirmed nothing happened. And they just talked about all that stuff, like you had just said. And she asked, I think, the harbor master if there was any way she could get out. Right. She was already wanting out at that point. Imagine if she had left. See, this is why intuition and, like, gut feelings are there. They're, like, there for a reason. Yeah. If you feel it's a bad situation, yeah. it probably is. Yeah. But again, Natalie has been ignoring her intuition for years to protect <laughs> these, like, men, right? There, She was, like, taught to do that. So the next day when they went back to the boat, they ended up going down down the shore to a more secluded part where there wasn't much on shore besides a restaurant. So that's kind of where they were at. They were in a secluded part of the water. Yeah. So that's where the scene is set. So the 28th, when they went back to the ship, that day Robert kind of started fishing. And then after a while, Natalie and Christopher walk in. I'm going to call him Chris. I don't know if I'm allowed to call him Chris, but I'm going to. Are you okay with that, Christopher Walken? At us. Let me know. (laughs) (laughs) So, Natalie and Chris went back to shore to have dinner. And then a little while later, Robert and Dennis joined them. So, they went to have dinner at Doug's Harbor Reef Restaurant. They apparently had lots of drinks. 
A lot, a lot. So much so that the owner of this restaurant called the harbor master to let them know that a group of intoxicated celebrities would be coming that way. It's reported that during this dinner, the guests there, the staff, thought that Natalie was just so sweet and so kind. They thought that maybe there was a little bit of tension because Robert kept drinking, but he wasn't really talking too much. And Chris was being a little bit flirty with Natalie, which is probably where the tension came in. I also heard that um, Robert was not happy because Natalie was drinking a lot and he didn't like her to drink a lot. A little controlling. I thought it's alleged too. So there's also reports that Robert or Christopher or Natalie, one of the three smashed a glass or maybe two of the three. So <laughs> <laughs> there was lots of glass or at least one glass that was smashed. It's unclear whether it was Robert that smashed the glass out of anger or Christopher who smashed the glass because he did a toast and then smashed the glass because he's a celebrity and that's like his thing. Or it could have been Natalie because she was intoxicated. Yeah. Which also prompted Robert to get more angry and think that she was too intoxicated. Just (laughs) something happened with a glass. Yeah. That just kind of gives you, like, a bit of insight to, like, where their heads were at. They were intoxicated and the tensions were high. They were very intoxicated, by the way. Very drunk. Yeah. (laughs) Again, the owner of the restaurant called the Harbor Master, which doesn't happen, apparently. Yeah. So, apparently, they left shore and went back to the boat at around 10, and then they kept drinking. And then Natalie went to bed at around 10.45, according to the men who stayed up until around midnight. So this narrative is sort of according to the original narrative. Oh yeah, I should have said, this is the initial story. This is what Robert, Dennis, and Christopher said happened that night, Mm. initially. We'll get into the new story, which I have some things to say about. (laughs) But this is what they say happened. The first time they were asked. Yeah. Eventually they went to bed. Christopher basically just passed out because he was drunk and apparently seasick, and then just didn't wake up until, like, the next morning. When Robert eventually went to join Natalie in bed, um, he couldn't find her. So when Robert found Natalie missing, he and Dennis apparently searched for her, but they couldn't find her. They did notice that the dinghy, the Valiant, was missing. So Robert said that she must have, like, gone back to shore. They, like, it's fine. She just went back to shore. On her own. Again, the only thing on shore was the restaurant, which was closed at this time. Around 1.30, which was an hour and a half after they realized that she was gone, they finally realized that they should probably radio for help, so they did. Someone said that when they initially radioed for help, they didn't actually radio the correct frequency for either the harbormaster or the coast guard. Like, they first of all radioed around for nearby boats, and then later on they radioed around for the harbor patrol, who then came and investigated and went, ooh... Who then brought in the Coast Guard? I mean, either way, whether they did initially radio the harbor master or the frequency of the nearby boats, this was a very long, drawn-out search. Right. At, again, like, 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. It was a big search party. It was huge. I mean, it's Natalie Wood. Everybody was looking for her. Yeah. So, according to their explanation, all of them, once they finally decided to go search for Natalie as well, they decided to go to the shore. So, they went down to the shore and Robert was running up and down the shoreline looking for her, thinking, well, maybe she, like, you know, got off and then wanted to walk to clear her head or something. So, they pretty much solely searched along the shoreline. 
Which is dumb, because you'd be able to see the dinghy on the shore if she had made it to shore. Mm-hmm. A sheriff department helicopter spotted Natalie's body in the water about a mile away from the yacht. The dinghy was nearby, and she was confirmed dead at quarter to eight on November 29th, 1981. And I think she was nearby a cove as well. Yeah. So it would have been difficult for her to be spotted in the water. Yeah. So she was 43 at the time. Let's get into the after findings of what happened. This is still following the initial storyline as well. Yes. This is kind of the, um, what the authorities found at the time, the initial findings. So, Robert wouldn't go identify the body, which I kind of get. I wouldn't really want to do that either. He asked Dennis to do it for him, and he didn't even go along with him. He just said, go do that, and he didn't even wait outside or anything, which is weird. I get it, and I also don't get it, because, like, I can understand not wanting to admit that it's over by getting that final closure. But at the same time, I think that I would need that final closure because it happened so traumatically. Like, that's a very traumatic experience for someone to just, like, be gone. Just all of a sudden with no warning, tragically. Like, I don't know. And two, like, you know, everyone says people react to trauma differently and everyone, you know, is entitled to have their own opinions and their own ways of handling stress and sadness. So, who's to say? Yeah, everyone Mm. grieves differently, and I can't say what I would do in that situation. I hope that we never have to. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't want to see it, but also I wouldn't... I wouldn't send someone to go do it and not even, like, wait outside the room. Like, what kind of closure (laughs) is that? You just have to go home? Like... I wonder what that conversation was like, too. Like... Yeah. Like, how how do you have that conversation? Oh, God, it's awful. Okay. Let's move on. (laughs) So, Thomas Noguchi is also known as Coroner to the Stars, which... Let that sink in. Ick. Don't like that. What a title. Why would you want that title? I mean, someone has to do it, but also, I don't think it needs a title like that. It also doesn't need to be, like, popular. <laughs> oh. Like, romanticized. You know, publicized. Publicized. Romanticized. Yes. I just, uh, ick. Vibes are bad there. This guy got his title coroner to the stars because he worked also on natalie monroe's death natalie monroe no marilyn monroe (laughs) which we should probably talk about we absolutely should in a different episode yeah so he classified her death as an accident caused by drowning pretty quickly i think yeah he also stated that she had numerous superficial bruises that he suspected were sustained while she was drowning he also said that he didn't suspect foul play Okay, so the theory put forth by Thomas Noguchi, as well as Robert, and basically everyone involved in the investigation, is that Natalie must have heard the dinghy banging against the yacht, which had happened before, and then went to kind of strap it in to stop it from making that noise. Um, And then, because she was still drunk, she must have fallen in, hit her head, knocked herself unconscious, and then subsequently drowned. And it's also thought that, like, the area where the dinghy was, was kind of, like, filmy like you know when you have like algae yeah yeah had algae covering it yeah so it could have been slippery yeah but also i don't believe that there was evidence that the algae was disturbed agreed also i just want to remind everyone just in case you forgot of her crippling fear of water and the fact that she had three men including an employee on board whose job it was to strap in the dinghy and stop it from doing that just a reminder Mm -hmm. to everyone 
She was a mile away from the boat when she was found, and I don't think you need to untie a dinghy in order to strap it against the boat. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. That is a good point. I don't know, it's a thought. Cool. I don't really know how that would happen if you're trying to, like... I actually don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming that there's at least two spots where the dinghy needs to be untied. Because that's how boats work. Right? Yeah. You untie, like, the front and then you also, untie the like, back. You so, wouldn't like, untie something in order to tie it tighter. You would just... Put okay. an extra knot. I just... I can't. This isn't what happened. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. I can't. Okay. So, Chris also claims that he and Robert had a small argument about Natalie taking a break from acting to raise her children. Sorry, Chris and Robert did? Yeah, Chris and Robert had a fight about this. All right. Okay. All Why? Right. Why? <laughs> I just, I can't. There's also, like, a very alleged rumor going around that Robert was, like, very in debt. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard that. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I only heard one person say this, so I don't know how rooted in fact this is, but it was said that when that first rekindling of them happened, he also brought, like, a very extravagant gifts over, gifts for her kid, like, Christmas presents, and he was really in debt at the time. Like, he did mm. not have the money to be buying presents. Yeah. And, um, was kind of wondered if he worked so hard to woo her... Because she was loaded. She was loaded. She she could pay for all of his debt. She was successful, very successful. And she was also very smart with her money. Yes. So she had lots. At the time of her untimely demise, her net worth was 2.5 million. So today, it would have been about 6 million. It bears mentioning that pretty immediately, all three men aboard the ship got lawyers pretty immediately. They wouldn't really talk without a lawyer, which I'm not saying that's suspicious because obviously you should get a lawyer if you need a lawyer, but like, that's a little suspicious. And it does make sense in a way because they all had their own assets that they needed to protect. Yeah. And I imagine Dennis was like, okay, I'm an employee. They could mess with me. So I'm going to get a lawyer, which was smart. Yeah. So the case was officially ruled an accident and closed just like a couple weeks after it happened and then natalie was buried on december 3rd of that year that's not where the story ends no in november 2011 the la county sheriff department reopened the case they had received new information they did not raise charges or officially name anyone as a suspect and because robert specifically was not an official suspect he didn't actually have to agree to be questioned by the authorities He's hardly ever spoken about it in interviews and such since then. He just doesn't really mention it. So after his initial, like, statements and interviews, and actually, I don't even think they officially interviewed him. I think they just sort of took on the boat, like, so what happened? I don't think he was brought into the station. I heard that they kind of, like, coddled him a little bit because they were like, okay, his wife died and he's famous, so let's not question him too much. Yeah. And that's been it thus far. Yeah. Another update happened in June 2012, when the cause of death was changed from accident to undetermined. So they must have found some pretty substantial evidence. Yeah. And then in February 2018, which is a pretty big jump, there was a press conference about the case that explained that a new witness who had been on shore that night had spoken up, and investigators have created an alternate timeline to what the men on board ship had initially claimed. There was also witnesses on board ships around them, and... Also, Dennis had spoken up. At this time, Robert, who was now 88 years old, was officially a person of interest. 
I don't think that they can force him to talk when he's just a person of interest because he's not, like, officially a suspect. Yeah, and I also kind of don't understand how this works with, like, the Statue of Limitations. Oh, yeah. I kind of guess every place has their own, like, rules. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they don't just be like, hey, you're a suspect, you have to come in for questioning, but maybe that's why, because of the Statute of Limitations. So, let's get into what Dennis claimed. So, when he finally spoke up in a 2009 interview, he claimed that after Natalie's body was found, he was told by the other two men, Christopher and Robert, that they all had to stick to the original story. I think he also then claimed that Robert essentially carted him to his house where he's promptly provided with a lawyer and then almost imprisoned. Yeah, apparently Dennis was kind of placed almost under house arrest by Robert and his security team and he wasn't like really allowed to leave or do much for like a year after this happened that he like lived in Robert's house and then, like, the, he had to get special permission to even go and see his girlfriend at the time. So, like, it's a yeah. weird situation. Dennis was an employee, so there are some weird power dynamics at play. Yeah. Like, you can't really blame him for not speaking up because he was probably really scared. I mean, and also, he was reportedly a family friend. Yeah. So, like, it would have also been hard to think, like, this person that I've trusted for however long just <laughs> murdered someone. Potentially you know? Yeah, and especially because there were children involved, he did not probably want them to lose their father as well as their mother. Robert did kind of take in Natasha Gregson, Natalie's first daughter, kind of raised her as his own, I think. So we'll get into the story that the authorities came up with after Robert and new witnesses came forward, but first let's talk about some of the evidence. When Natalie was found, she was wearing a flannel nightgown, socks and a down jacket when a down jacket gets wet it's gonna act like a weight on your body yeah yeah also okay so she didn't really know how to swim right but she would have known how to flail and if suspectedly she was you know with it enough that she could think to retie or whatever tighten the dinghy to the boat right she's with it enough to do that so if she fell into the water if she slipped and fell right you know how even when you're, like, quite out of it, something really serious happens and the adrenaline just, like, sobers you up enough because your body is trying to keep you alive, right? Right, especially the shock from the cold water because it was that freezing. That too. Yeah, that too, right? She was a smart lady. And smart people, first of all, would probably think to, number one, take the jacket off. And number two, they would also probably think to flail around, meaning her socks shouldn't still be on her feet. Even if you don't know how to swim, you still know that you're moving your legs. Whatever you're doing, you're, like, flailing everywhere. Yeah. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that... I'm thinking that the first thing I would do after I got in the water, no matter how I got there, I would take my jacket off. But also, it was cold, but also, it's not going to do much to protect you against the cold when it gets wet. Also, it's going to make you probably more cold. (laughs) Yeah. So, the first thing you do is take off your jacket, take off your socks. You wouldn't even have to take your socks off. Your socks would just, like, come off. Yeah. And that point also... So, her sister, I think it was, did do a Dr. Phil interview. Yeah. In which she... She said that she also put on cotton socks and did a test where she went into the water and she started flailing around and the socks didn't stay on for her. Oh, wow. Okay. Weird. 
It's I didn't kind even of, think about that. Well, I mean, it kind of bears the same question. Like, if you're wearing a bikini, right, and you're moving fast enough in the water, something's gonna, like, move at least a little bit, you know? Yeah. She also had bruises all over her body, specifically on her arms and legs, as well as a scrape on the side of her face. Also, the dinghy was off. The oars were locked, and it was set in neutral, all indicating that it was never turned on in the first place. So, Robert's theory that she got into the dinghy and left, and the initial theory that he said, oh, she just left, Mm. not a thing, Mm because it wasn't even turned on. There were also fingernail scratches on the dinghy, indicating that she had tried to get in, but it's hard to, like, pull yourself up when you're swimming and she can't even really swim, and she was wearing something that was basically, like, a weight on her body. I mean, and it's a dinghy, right? It's not going to be the easiest thing to get onto. Yeah. The investigators also found a broken bottle like a wine bottle, I think, where they were all drinking, which Robert claims was due to the rough seas, which, in my mind, if that was the case, there would be more than one broken bottle. Okay, so there's two important pieces to note here. Number one, when Robert spoke to detectives, he also said that it wasn't out of the ordinary, or like, it wasn't unheard of for Natalie to take the boat out, the dinghy out. She didn't even know how to operate it. But that's what he said to the, I think, the harbor master. Right. I think he might have also mentioned that she had a, you know, she was uncomfortable with water, but if the seas were calm, she would take it out. It was raining that night. It was stormy. And apparently, the broken bottle was due to the rough waves. If she would only take it out on calm seas, what happened? I think it's in the police report or some some report somewhere. Someone said that Robert had told them that it wasn't unthought of for Natalie to take out the dinghy, like I said, soft seas, whatever. And then his lawyer, I think, came out with a statement explaining the broken bottle because bits and pieces of information were getting out and the public was like, okay, what's going on? So when his lawyer made this statement, he messed up. He messed up. <laughs> It's, like, such a blatant, like, who overlooked this? He got fired for that, probably. Probably not. (laughs) He probably knew too much at that time to be fired. I mean, not that there was necessarily anything to know. So, Natalie's blood alcohol content was 0.14. For reference, 0.08 is the legal limit in the States, I think, at least. I don't know what it is here. Um, there were also traces of a painkiller and motion sickness pills in her blood, which would have caused the alcohol to affect her more. Okay, so that's all we have for evidence. Let's get into what the authorities pieced together in 2018 from Dennis's testimony as well as new witness testimonies. Okay. Um, the story is the same in that they had dinner, Natalie, Natalie. and Chris were flirty, and Robert was angry. Mm-hmm. When they got back to the yacht, they kept drinking, but the story differs when eventually the two men had a serious argument. Not a small one, but a serious one. I think this is sort of corroborated by someone who says that they heard yelling right. very late at night, because sound travels on the water. Right. Which is something we need to keep in mind. Like, people could hear them from shore, probably, because it just travels. Probably. Yeah. So, basically, the fight was about Robert wanting Natalie to stay at home and be a wife and a mom, and Chris thought that she was way too talented for that. And for some reason, neither of them cared to hear what Natalie wanted to say. They just (laughs) decided that they had all the right opinions, and that her choices were their choices, and that she should be making different ones. Neither of their opinions matter. (laughs) 
We're not heated, though. Like, at all. No. No. Yeah, so during this fight, Robert allegedly broke a bottle, the bottle, and accused Chris of trying to hook up with Natalie. He's like, what are you doing? Are you trying to... I can beep you out. What are you doing? Are you trying to... Beep! My wife. (laughs) (laughs) So, after this... Chris wisely skedaddled back to his room, and Robert went to find Natalie. So I've heard that Natalie was below deck. I've also heard that she was in the little room that they had. I don't know where she was. She was somewhere on this massive ship, apparently. It's a pretty small ship because both of the rooms were, like, right beside each other. You know, maybe Chris didn't sleep throughout the entire night like he said he did, maybe? I I don't know, though. Like, I'm not saying anything. I don't know. But, like, if I heard someone yelling in the room next to me, I'd probably wake up. Maybe? I don't know. According to New Testimony, Robert went to find Natalie, and when he found her, they started arguing. Natalie tried to escape him, but he followed, and the two ended up on the deck of the ship. So what happened was she didn't want to argue, and he was not done arguing, so he said, no, you're going to listen to me. Yeah. Before this, Dennis heard... Arguing. Yeah, arguing from their rooms and what sounded like, um, he said furniture being thrown around. Yeah. Yeah. I think he also said that he decided to turn whatever music he was listening to way up because he didn't want them to think that he was eavesdropping on their personal business on this ship. Right, because he had tried to go and ask if they needed help, and then when he was like, no, we don't need your help, he was like, okay, and, like, I'm gonna the door. go. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, yeah. When they went up to the deck of the ship, Dennis couldn't really ignore this any longer. He heard thumping sounds. It's unclear whether this was, like, stopping or hitting or maybe a struggle with the dinghy of some sort. So it's also speculated that there was a period of time where it was just silence. So Dennis assumed that they had made up and Natalie had potentially gone to bed or whatever. They were honeymooning on the deck now. So he went up to check. And when he did, Robert was alone. Robert told him that Natalie was gone. He didn't know where she was. Was missing. Was missing. Okay, we should turn on the floodlights and call (laughs) radio for help. And Robert was like, no, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think they might have also briefly searched the ship. When they were like, oh, look, the dinghy's not here. So she obviously went out on the dinghy. Yeah. Obviously. And then Dennis thought that it seemed weird that Natalie would take the dinghy because she didn't know how to drive it and she was terrified of water. But he blamed her decision on the alcohol. Which, yeah, blame her decision on the alcohol. But uh, alcohol doesn't make her suddenly know how to drive a boat. So, yeah, Robert was just like, okay, we're not going to look for her. He didn't want the negative press involved. He also didn't want to alert people because he thought she was just drunk and on this dinghy, like, mad or something. This whole situation just paints everyone in a really, really bad light. So, I kind of have a question for, for Mr. Robert there. Why would there be negative press unless something bad had happened to her already? Oh, I hadn't um, thought about that quite like that before. Oh, that doesn't make me feel good. If she just went back to shore, there's no negative press there. Like, there, nobody's going to write a news story about Natalie Wood back going back to shore. Nobody's going to, like, put negative press about that. Unless something bad had already happened to her, and he knew that. And even if he was concerned about, like, you know, being, like, obnoxious by turning on the floodlights and, like, calling her name, 
I don't think he has any problem being obnoxious. Well, and, like, (laughs) they had already been obnoxious. The day before and earlier that night, they were obnoxious. So, like, you don't have anything else to worry about. Yeah. Like, you've already been shouting and drunk the entire evening. You're already obnoxious, my dude. I mean, come on. Dennis also claims that Robert said, let's teach her a lesson. Okay. That's gross. I don't like that one. That one actually gave me chills. That's not cool. Because there is someone else on a boat who claimed that they thought they heard, like, a woman calling for help. And then they heard, like, other people also calling. And they didn't call it in originally because they thought that they heard male voices taunting. This is infuriating. They just didn't care that she was terrified of water. That she was drowning. That she was in danger. They were just like, no, she's being annoying and silly. And drunk and like, So condescending. The audacity. Um, also, like, okay, so let's say that, you know, Dennis and Robert, because that's who we're talking about at this point, let's say that they were also both intoxicated. Let's say that they were, like, super intoxicated. I have not checked the science behind this, but I feel like, again, everyone has it in them for that adrenaline to kick in to give you those brief moments of clarity in which someone should have gone, that doesn't make sense for us to just wait for her to return. Right? It just doesn't. So, there was a woman and her boyfriend, Marilyn Wayne and John Payne, I believe, which is cute. Oh my gosh. Dang. Yeah, cute. They were on a boat a little ways away, and they could hear at around 11, they claimed to have heard a woman yelling, somebody please, like, help me, I'm drowning. Hmm. And then also heard, like you said, um, men answering Hmm. and being really kind of, like, condescending and mocking her almost, being like, we'll get you, it's fine, you're okay. But this couple tried to radio for help and there was no answer. It went on for half an hour that they heard these cries. That's a long time. How could I mean, good on them for calling it in, but also, I feel like if I heard any cries going on for, like, two minutes, I would start mobilizing myself. Um, they did say that there was another boat docked nearby and that they were having a party, so they kind of thought that maybe somebody was just, like, playing around there. Um, funny joke. Funny joke, (laughs) right? So, like the other story, when the yelling stopped, at around 1.30, the men on board the Splendor finally called for help. Sorry, when the yelling stopped at around 11.30. Yeah, and then at 1.30, two hours later, they called for help. I don't know what they were doing all that time on the boat, but... I will mention that, um, apparently the time of death they concluded was around midnight. So... Okay. Since Natalie was dressed for bed, investigators kind of assumed that she must have left of her own accord because she had a coat. So, like, she put on the coat when she went out on deck. Natalie's sister says that Natalie would never have left on that dinghy on her own because she would have been way too terrified. And also, she's a famous celebrity. (laughs) Like, she's not gonna go to shore and wander around in her nightgown. Right? And, like, socks. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And if she was, like she had done the night before, she would have asked Dennis to take her back to shore. Because that had happened, the same situation happened the night before. And she asked Dennis to take her back to shore. Why wouldn't she have done that again? Think logically here. Just think about it for a moment. Think about it, guys. I don't know. Um, I didn't write down his name. But there was a man who was an intern at the coroner's office at the time, and he came forward and stated that the bruises on her body looked like she was pushed repeatedly. 
She also had a scrape on the left side of her face, had wounds and friction burns on her legs, which we've mentioned, but the friction burns on her legs were in the opposite direction that they would have been if she was trying to get on the boat. So I don't really know what that means, but that's what he said. Um, okay, I also don't really know what that means. Does that mean she's trying to get off the boat then? I'm not sure. Okay. He also said that Mm. the only way for these bruises to appear would be if she had been continuously pushed and pulled out of the water. Oh! Ooh, Okay, that's not good. Apparently, when he brought these findings initially to the coroner, the coroner said, some things are better left unsaid. I think not, sir. Yeah. Excuse me? I don't like this. So many people failed her. Why does this keep happening, though? Like, in everything that we talk about that's, like, dark like this, we're like, everyone failed. I don't know. It's ridiculous. It's like, if they had actually, like, investigated thoroughly during the initial investigation, maybe this would be, like, solved by now. To our satisfaction. You <laughs> to know? our satisfaction, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. Because, like you said, her socks should have come off, or maybe she should have taken off her jacket. And, like, the boat was... It was untied, but it wasn't turned on. So, these factors, if you actually think about it, though... It all kind of does make sense for her being murdered because if she was repeatedly being pushed under the water, she wouldn't have had an opportunity to take her jacket off. Oh. And her socks probably still might have come off, but... But maybe they were really tight. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense, and the fact that they're all so spooky about it and, like, (laughs) Christopher Walken... I don't know how long after this, but he went on to a talk show and did an interview where they asked what he thought happened to Natalie Wood, as if they didn't believe (laughs) what they said. It's just fact that, like, it's a lie. Yeah, and he kind of suspiciously just sort of said, well, it all comes down to the fact that she drowned. Yeah, she drowned. I'm not disputing that. Like, he didn't lie there. I don't disagree that she drowned. There's evidence that she drowned. We know that she drowned. What we don't know is what led to her drowning. Well, we all know that she drowned because there was water in her lungs, right? What he said was right and true. Which means that he could never get pinned for something that was untrue. About Christopher Walken. Hi, I have some questions, If somebody on another boat could hear her yelling for help, there's no way that the people on board the boat that she was directly beside didn't hear her yelling for help. If Dennis somewhere else could... Hear them arguing? (laughs) Hear them arguing, yeah. Then Christopher Walken, who was sleeping in the room next to them, should have heard them arguing. And, like, okay, based on the photo that we saw, it's, like, a nice boat. It's definitely on a yacht scale, but it's... It's not big enough to um, hide your arguments. It's not. I mean, sure, maybe he was sleeping all night, but I don't know. They heard men yelling at her, so was there three, two, one? We don't know. That's true, we don't know. (sighs) I don't know, Chris. I'm googling how does Christopher walk and sleep. (laughs) 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 Okay, okay, wait, that doesn't make sense. As in, like, you know, does he wake up a lot at night? Does he, I don't like, think hit the pillow information and then, like... available to the public. <laughs> Some people share those things. I just wasn't sure if he was one of them or not. I thought it was worth a try. <laughs> Google search brought up nothing but Sleepy Hollow references. Unfortunately. Oh, that's so funny. 
So let's get into some theories, shall we? Okay, theory number one. It was an accident. Obviously. So she left of her own accord because she was angry because they had an argument and then things went wrong. And that's just it. That's the story. Things went wrong because it was a stormy sea. Yeah. It's basically just a story that Robert Wagner said initially. Like, she just left. Things went wrong. Or alternatively, I guess. She didn't officially try and leave, but she did try and fix the dinghy. And because it was so stormy and slippery, things still went wrong. Yeah. She fell overboard. That's it. It was an accident. Yeah. So, both... (sighs) On her own accord here. Yeah. No one else involved. Yeah, no. Okay, here's reasons why we don't believe this theory. First of all, the bruising. Second of all, the scratches. On the dinghy. On the dinghy and on her. Yeah, on her face. Yeah. Okay, so the the bruises were superficial. If she had fallen off of the boat and banged her body on the way down, they wouldn't be superficial. I just, that's just a theory that I have. Also, the, if she had, like, left... The dinghy was off, so she yeah. didn't leave in the dinghy. Successfully debunked. Let's move on. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, this one's a little sensitive, this next theory. Trigger warning. So, we know that Natalie was a huge advocate for mental health awareness. Part of this stemmed from the fact that she had tried to take her own life at least once before. So, some claim that this incident on the boat could have been a suicide. I don't think that this theory holds too much weight. First of all, people generally don't take their own lives by drowning. That's true. It's not common. There's evidence that she, like, the fingernail scratches and the witness testimony that she tried to get help, right? Mm-hmm. So, also, it was her biggest fear. That's just... Which is huge. I don't think that would happen. I don't think that holds too much weight. I agree. I don't believe that this is a concrete explanation. Yeah. So, moving on from that theory. Yes. Here's an interesting one. There was a rumor that possibly Robert and Chris were maybe having an affair. So this stems from the rumors that Robert was by and the rumors that Natalie had ended their first marriage because she caught Robert with their butler. My goodness. That's a theory, and it's not a theory that Robert Wagner likes very much. I would imagine that probably neither of them like it very much. No. But also, they did have an entire evening on the boat. Yes. By themselves. They did. But on the other side, though, you know, if Natalie was concerned that that might happen, why would she leave them alone? There's a theory that Natalie wanted Christopher to come on the boat because he was her co-star and she was, like, friendly with him. And then Robert was down with it and then maybe brought up the idea of a threesome happening on board the ship. And Natalie kind of didn't like this idea and then left on the dinghy to go back to shore because she was mad. So that's this theory, which again, I don't believe for the same reasons I don't believe that she left on the dinghy at all. Also, Dennis says that there's basically no way this is true because they hated each other so much. (laughs) So that's a theory. So far, all three theories are her acting on her own accord. Yeah. Let's get into the theories that she didn't act of her own accord. Oh, boy. So, some people have put forth the theory that she was already unconscious before she got into the water. Specifically, Dennis himself went on Dr. Phil, and we just sort of stumbled across this footage, and I feel like now that we're at the end, nearing the end of the episode, it kind of, like, puts things 
more in a question. He suggested that he quote-unquote thinks she was already dead before she got in the water. Yeah. And then he sort of clarifies by saying unconscious before she was put in the water. Bit of a slip of the words there, dude. Mm-hmm. Also then clarifies as unconscious as a result of an altercation with one Robert Wagner. Dennis also mentions that there was apparently no water found in her lungs. Yeah. Dennis himself. This is Dennis, the captain and friend of the couple. So I don't really know that where this is coming from, because as far as both of us could find outside of this interview, she did have water in her, her lungs, indicating that she had died by drowning. Drowning, yeah. So I don't really know where this is coming from, but maybe it was just another slip, but it's, it seems like a weird thing to not clarify. Okay, so this was on Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil's usually pretty good at interrupting people to, like, call them out. Yeah. He didn't do that here at all. He just sort of left, let it just happen. Yeah. This is another one of those cases where everything is just conflicting. Nothing and makes sense. different reports, and yeah, nothing makes sense, so. Of course. Yeah, this is just one of those things that we just stumbled across, and now we need to, like, it blew our minds, so we needed to throw it in here. <sighs> Let it blow yours, too. <laughs> yeah. And that interview is on YouTube, by the way. And it would explain why she was still wearing her clothes, all of her clothes. The only way that it could kind of explain the scratches on the dinghy is if that was there beforehand. Yeah, which doesn't really make sense. Well, I mean, they did go on the dinghy before, so what if, you know, there was, like, a little bit of a rough whatever, and she went to... Oh, yeah, like, rough waves, and maybe she yeah. grabbed onto the side? Yeah. That could be it, too. Because what exactly is scratches? Yeah. It also doesn't explain the, the witness testimony that they heard yelling. And apparently, I forgot to mention this, apparently they tried to get in contact with the police and tell them that when it happened, but the police just blew them off, basically. And oh, casually. So that's the thing. Nicely done, police force. Wow. Yeah. You did great, friends. Yeah. So that's that theory. This is a new theory. So, like, all the other theories, I've had, like, at least a week and a half to two weeks to, like think about them, and also longer because I have heard of this case before we started yeah. researching. And this theory is very new. Yeah, that's one I haven't thought of before. It's kind of a really scary one, though. Qu quite scary. Yeah. So, the last theory I have is that Robert killed her in basically a fit of rage, which is also the same as the last theory. So, basically, <laughs> these two theories means that Robert killed her, right? Yeah. We don't know whether he did it, like, Spur of the moment because he was angry, accidentally maybe, yeah. or if it was premeditated. I will say, we mentioned his debt before, and Natalie's money. In her will, most of the money went to him. He also started dating a new woman, um... Very shortly. Yeah, like, not even a month after Natalie's death, and he's still married to her today. So he could have forced her onto the dinghy, and then she was drunk and scared, and then things went south before she could make it back to shore. Or... He could have accidentally pushed her a little too hard, and then because it was slippery and rainy, she fell in the water and then... Hit her head. Hit her head. Or something. And then he let the dinghy go to kind of cover it up. Or maybe uh. he pushed her into the water and thought that she'd be fine because he was drunk and angry and his mind just wasn't thinking right, and then he yeah. left her there. So essentially, this theory sort of encompasses all the different ways that one specific person on that boat could have killed her. And all of them kind of make sense <laughs> and have evidence. Yeah. They're a little bit 
easier to understand than the ones on her own accord. Yeah, because there's, there's evidence of a struggle. She had bruises on her body. She had obviously been in a physical confrontation before she got in the water. Whether or not that caused her death or contributed to it in any way, we don't know. But yeah. it was pretty obvious by the state of her when they found her. And it is, I would say, unlikely that it happened prior to that evening because, or like later on that evening, because had it happened prior to, I mean, they were drawing a lot of attention to themselves at the restaurant and the people that waited on them, they, I'm assuming, would have noticed if, number one, these, you know, drunk, noisy people at a table were being noisy. Number two, the fact that there are celebrities at your table. They would have noticed the bruises. Especially the ones on her face. The scratches on her face. Yeah. That's something that they probably would have remembered. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious something happened when they got back to the boat. We don't know what, which is frustrating. Quite. I also wanted to mention, apparently you can still resuscitate someone, like, up to an hour after they go unconscious. Really? Yeah. Like, there will be brain damage, but they could still survive. Oh, that's interesting. So that's a thing. So if she had fallen into the water, whether she was unconscious or she stayed in the water for a while and struggled and then fell unconscious. There's so much time. They could have saved her. Like, she could still be alive today if they just acted quicker. I'm frustrated. Wow. I mean, honestly. What do you think happened, Mia? Well, something really, really bad. I do not think that she did it on her own at all. I feel like I tend to believe more of what Dennis is suggesting. Yeah. Because it makes sense to me. And I also would like to mention one thing as well. Yeah. Lana, after this happened, she... I don't remember if it was her funeral or if it was Robert's birthday the next month or some one of the kids' birthdays the next month, but Lana was trying to get in touch with Robert because... I'm pretty sure it was his birthday, actually. Um, so she got in touch with one of his family members to plan this birthday for him, this you know, nice birthday. Mm -hmm. And, um, because she was quite close to them. I think she lived with them for a period of time. Like, they knew her quite well, and she knew them quite well. And when she tried to do this, whoever she was speaking to on the phone said, well, it's sort of just for, like, really close family and friends. And then somehow Lana ended up getting invited, or, like, she ended up making it there, and everyone wanted nothing to do with her. That's like so at all. sad. And this was very recent after her passing. I want to say it was like a month, one to three months after Natalie's passing. That is so sad. Yeah. And then, reportedly as well, Natalie left Lana some like clothes and shoes and handbags and stuff. And I think the assumption or the understanding is that most of it was sold. And that one makes sense because this is Natalie Wood. She's going to have a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Feasibly, you can't keep it all. Yeah. But Robert kind of called her out on this and insinuated that she did it because either she didn't care, she had something to do with it, or she just, it was something bad. It was just a really bad situation. That's so heartbreaking. God. Yeah. That is so tragic. I hate that so much. I needed to add that in there. Sorry. That's awful. Okay. So now that we have that underway, um, what do you think happened? I think... That maybe possibly they got into a physical fight, Natalie and Robert, and then he realized that he had hurt her physically, and to cover it up, maybe he pushed her into the water, cut the dinghy, and covered it up. And 
But that's just speculation. It is in no way fact. Just my opinion. That is true. The police have not spoken on that at all. Yeah. This um, one's just sad. Like, it is sad. It's heartbreaking. And she left young kids. Yeah. I'm sad. I <laughs> know. In conclusion, it's been three years since this last big update and not much else has really come to light. And I really hope that one day Natalie will get justice, but at this point, the main suspect is 91. He's really the only suspect, so it's unlikely that he will confess to anything. Unless there's a deathbed confession, which does happen. There should be. I mean, what's what else do you have to live for? Yeah, you have nothing to cover up at that point. To this day, the case remains open, and they're still investigating it, so hopefully we get new updates. And if we do, tune in. We'll update you. We will. Yeah, we will. Promise. I wish that we could end on, like, a happier note. Well, Um, you know what? Her kids (laughs) carried on her legacy. Yeah, they did. I think Natasha's uh, an actress. Yeah. They obviously care for her, and her sister's still advocating for her to this day. Yes. Which is important. And she made such a big impact. Like, her on her own, she is not someone that will be forgotten. It's been how long and we're still talking about her. Yes. So much love goes out to the family yeah her children and her sister for me regardless of what actually happened everyone suffered yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry i hope i hope there's justice eventually yeah it's pretty obvious that natalie was a wonderful person if you made it this far in the podcast thank you it's been a little bit rough and it's a little bit dark right at the moment Natalie Wood, rest in peace, and we will always remember you. We will. Your legacy lives on. To this day. Yeah. 2021, we're still talking about you. And probably will for many, many years to come. But there, that was a hopeful note. We did it, finally. We took okay. us like 20 minutes, but we got there. Jesus. Oh my gosh. So, if, if you've made it this far, like you said, thank you for listening to Weird Things in Mind. And we appreciate that you participated. Yeah. By listening. You can follow us on all the things, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Weird Things in Wine, on basically everything. You can also let us know what you thought, what you think. I mean... Let us know your theories, your questions. Do you have any? Email us at weirdthingsinwine, DM us. Again, reminder, disclaimer. We have a disclaimer in this episode for a reason, and we meant it. Yes. If you have any questions or concerns, refer back to our initial disclaimer. <laughs> That's better. That's a better way to say it. We are going to cheers out on a happy note. Stay weird. Drink wine. Cheers. Cheers. Stick around for some bloopers and outtakes. This is a good level, I think. Do you this think looks, this, is this looks good. I'm happy with this level. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, that's fine. Is that fine? Okay, let's unplug it and listen. Okay, we sound we good. We know what we're doing. Oh, is that better? I think that's better. Um. Let's listen to it. Let's listen to it. <laughs> dumb cash. Not dumb, dumb, okay. Dumb. I wasn't wondering if you were dumb. That's not the one. No, that's was. okay. <laughs> I'd rather you wonder than know. <laughs> so she was born Natalia. Natalia. Why did my voice break? It's like I'm a twelve-year-old boy. Okay. Natalia. <laughs> If we say it's fact, but, like, mm, you know what we mean. You know what we right? mean. You know what we mean. Right, lawyers? <laughs> <laughs>
He kind of does look like a grandma <laughs> now. It's okay. You can say it loud. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> cut. Cut. <laughs> okay. Life. <gasps> Twins. Oh, my gosh. Look at us. Is yeah. that identity theft? <laughs> Is that identity theft? <laughs> it's probably identity theft. We already did a disclaimer. Refer back to the disclaimer if you start feeling offended, Robert. Can we just say that? Please refer <laughs> to our initial disclaimer. Thomas Noguchi. I did not spell his name right. I think I did these notes a little bit late in the day, and I thought spelling his name Noguchi was really funny. <laughs> so when Natalie was found, am I talking too much? I don't want to, like, take over. These are literally all of your notes. <laughs> I want to be Why would you be talking too much? I don't (laughs) think we can talk too much on our own podcast. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Knock, knock, hello. (laughs) Do you want me to do a quieter beat? I can make it quieter in (laughs) post-production. You're professional like that. (laughs) I did yawn, but I'm not tired. It's okay if you're tired. I just forgot to breathe. That happens. Not really, but it can. Oh. <laughs> I find that sometimes that happens. I'll just be, like, really thinking about something, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, okay, why is my heart, like, beating so fast? Oh, I'm feeling kind of like, oh, we breathe. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Next episode should be something a little bit lighter. So I'm with something really light. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thermodynamics. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>